Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Business of Circularity. I'm your host, Stuart Hillhouse. On today's episode, we speak with Tabitha Osler, and I've heard about her before through some mutual friends, and so when I was finally able to get a hold of her, I was really excited that we got to have a conversation together. So who's Tabitha Osler? She's a designer, a mother, and founder of Fairchild, an eco-innovative outerwear company for kids. Fairchild produces stylish, minimalistic outerwear by using sustainable materials made out of recycled water bottles and also give, offers a give-back program once your child grows out of the garment. We discuss how her inspiration led her to start her outerwear business, how she was able to source the proper material for her needs, and how she plans to scale her business across the world as they continue to get larger and larger. So please enjoy this conversation with Tabitha, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me, Tabitha. How are you doing today? Good, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. So uh, we'll just jump right into it because there's a lot to talk about. Um, so you're the founder of Fairchild, which is a eco-innovative outerwear brand for kids. Um, could you explain a little bit about uh, where your background is and how you got excited about about fashion, especially for children? Sure. Um, so I guess my background in fashion started when I started studying in Belgium at the Antwerp Academy and I got really excited about the connection between fashion and sculpture which was my background. Um, so I my introduction into fashion was from a luxury perspective but also this kind of dream um, really larger than life and uh, very conceptual perspective on fashion. Um, so with that as a starting point, all, all of the collections that I made were focused on um, environmental impact on the planet, climate change, and then making a connection between natural materials and how they can be imbued through fashion and tell, tell a story. So um, the background, for my fashion career really started with the textile um, and and then when I when I finished school and I moved into luxury fashion um, I think I was confronted with uh, just the waste in the fashion industry even in the luxury fashion industry um, and also the customer that I was serving and I I felt more connected to a child as a customer. I was having a child of my own. Um, and I felt like to really create change within the fashion industry, I didn't have enough agency working for another fashion designer. I wanted to be able to um, create rapid change. And to do that, it was easier to start my own business and just set the foundation for how I wanted um, the production cycles to go. Um, and I saw that there was a lot of innovation that had to happen and a lot of change. Um, so that was my starting point. Awesome. Yeah. Especially in the luxury, luxury markets, it's, it's yes. mind boggling how much gets discarded and not even made it to the to store, storefront. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, so then right away, did you start um, sketching did you have a line in mind from the beginning or was that, did that kind of come with the exploration around uh, like the children's market? Right. 
Um, when I started, I really, I thought that I would be using materials that would biodegrade. Um, so natural materials, organic materials like hemp and linen, um, or other alternative materials. Right now there's a lot of innovations in terms of textile manufacturing, like, uh, materials made out of pineapple leaves, recycled car tires. Uh, there's like, there's no, like there's a huge, um, textile, uh, movement in food waste being developed. Um, and I thought that that was where, uh, the company was going to go, but the more that I researched, um, I, I kept getting to this end point where the textile would be made, um, responsibly, the product would be made responsibly, but then, uh, there was no system in place for the end of its life. So just expecting that it was going to, um, be disposed of in a landfill and that it would biodegrade wasn't realistic, even though it could biodegrade, it had the properties to, it has, it needs the proper conditions to do so. Um, I also came across uh, just all the notions of threads, buttons, zippers, those all become problematic because they generally have to be made of the same content for it to biodegrade appropriately. So, um, I found myself looking for a material that had, that could be recycled as like the base, um, the baseline, and then also came from recycled or repurposed material. And when you look into the logistics of upcycling, it's, it's very, uh, it's very challenging because you have to get the raw, where you have to get the upcycled resource and then you have to clean it and sanitize it. And then you have to make sure that it's certain content and then that goes into another, um, yeah, anyway, so I basically my search brought me to the Sustainable Angle Expo in London, which is uh, it's a textile trade show for sustainable fabrics. And I found one supplier who had what I needed, which was a recycled fabric that was or a fabric that was made out of recycled content. So it's diverting um, plastic bottles from landfills and they don't use certain critical chemicals in um, the production of it uh, that make it so you can't recycle it again. Most recycled um, polyesters, uh, you can't recycle them again and again because of the chemicals that are used to create the original fiber. Um, so I felt like that was my answer. I found a product, a material that I could recycle where I could if I put in um, the appropriate systems for getting the product back to me, then I, I could put it into another recycling system. And um, you have this idea of a circular economy, cradle to cradle philosophy, um, where waste is trans transformed back into a resource and this creates this endless cycle, which is really how our environment naturally processes things. But we've kind of um, put a wrench in that cog and, uh, <laughs> made a lot of single-use products that whose end of life specifically with plastics are 200 years from now they won't actually go back into the natural cycle for 200 years so um so yeah that's kind of how I came to that point uh and it was it really came down to there was kind of, there were two factors one was that I I wanted to create durable clothing so if I'm looking at um, kind of the the values of how to create a sustainable brand. You want it to be long lasting. First of all, you want the, you want the material to be 
um, have a low ecological impact to start with, but then you want it to be long lasting and be durable and be repairable. So it's life is as long as possible. Um, you want something that you don't have to launder every single day or every time you wear it. And then finally at the end of its life, you want it to not have to go to a landfill. So this, the fabric met those needs, but then also the end product met those needs in that it was creating outerwear was durable. The fabric itself was durable. I'm working on a patch kit so I can patch and um, repair any holes. Um, and then it's also high functioning. So it's a product that's going to last a longer time. The children's wear you're looking at generally the majority of the products are lasting a year. They're, they're not made to be adjustable. Um, and so I was creating a product that was going to, going to last at least three years with adjustability and it's outerwear so it's a little more um, and then yeah the other part I liked about outerwear was that it facilitated um, uh, time spent outdoors for children what I what I'm finding is with terrible outerwear where it leaks or where it's uncomfortable or where you're getting hot and sweaty inside. We make a lot of high-performing outerwear for ourselves, for adults, but high-performing outerwear for children was non-existent. I couldn't find outerwear that was actually breathable so you're not getting all sweaty inside and children are running around out in the rain much more frequently than we are. Um, so creating that high-performance um, product that allowed children to feel comfortable outside so they're spending more time outside they're spending less time on their screens and they're engaging with their natural environment and therefore hopefully learning about it learning to care for it um, and I really like the idea of planting this seed in the younger generation that waste is a resource that you know if they saw a product um, that looked nothing like what it came from it looked nothing like plastic bottles but magically it was turned into a new thing I wanted them to that to inspire them to see what other ways they could transform into new things. Yeah, that's the craziest part is kids get it right away. You're like, oh, yeah. and then this is how the world works. Yeah. This, is how this is how nature works and here's what, where we're doing it wrong. And they're like, yeah, duh. I know. And then adults are just like, no, no, but that's not how things are. So <laughs> I really like that where you just, you just show them. Yeah. Not only like what you grew up in, I've got pictures of you as a child in this jacket. Guess what? It went in the recycling after we were done with it. After yeah. you, your sister, and your other sister wore it, then it went in the, it went in the recycling. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of awesome, awesome things there. I'd like to kind of get specific with a few of those things. So you mentioned the material sourcing right at the beginning is kind of how you were able to take that concept into an actual product. Mm -hmm. what, what, what did that journey look like finding the material? Because I know that that's a... If you don't, if you're not in the industry, that's a very uh, large barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I had I had a little bit of a leg up because I had spent time in the industry, so I'd been to um, Premier Vision, which is the biggest textile fair in um, Paris, and I'd met with textile mills, and I understood the process generally. But um, I I also that the sustainable section of Premier Vision is tiny. So really starting, uh, I guess using websites is like using website databases like GOT certified. So Global Organic Textile Standard is a good start, but really I still felt it was difficult to find what I needed. So I honestly spent weeks and weeks with multiple spreadsheets.
it's like digging into different websites and then getting on the phone and getting them to another person and then getting to another person um, until, I, until I stumbled across the sustainable angle. And then that kind of, um, that was a great resource because even though it's a small collection, uh, it's, uh, it's a well-curated collection. So you can really depend on the ecological, positive, eco or sorry, I guess, low impact, um, environmental impact of most of their textiles. And uh, they've got a really easy uh, system for identifying what part of it is um, environmentally sound. So is it that it's vegan or recycled or the, they or various other certifications so is it free of harmful chemicals or yeah right um, so that was a good map for finding a sustainable textile yeah uh, and then um there's others there's other websites that i found that had a section that was focused on sustainability but really uh, it's just digging and and it takes a long time what what i found was most of the people that were creating a really exciting sustainable textile like leather made of apples and things like that are still in the development phase um it was less difficult with the actual textile it was more difficult with the notions and the thread uh, the buttons and making sure and the labels and making sure every single part of it is sustainable like yeah and then to how did you um what was your mindset in having to figure out because there's uh accreditations and things like that but how did you go about saying line in the sand this is my sustainability mark that mm -hmm. is over the that's too much and this one is just right like how did you put that in your head um if you had two materials beside each other yeah I came from the perspective that nothing, I mean, nothing is too much within reason. Like, yes, I am creating a new product to be the most sustainable. Really, we're just using what we already have, but that's not reality. We're, we're in a consumption cycle. People want new products. People need new products. You don't always have access to a used product. So that's the, that's the baseline. And then um, I guess my goal was actually cradle to cradle. So achieving that was really the highest standard for me, but that certification costs $25,000. And I did try to go down that road, but couldn't achieve that. But I, I guess that that was my line was if I'm making a sustainable product, every part of it has to be um, as sustainable as possible. So do I need packaging? Yes how do you have a low, the lowest impact use alternative materials, use something that's going to decompose user recycle, like just um, going down that line. And then a lot hard part was adhesives on labels. So finding like a compostable label to go on the compostable packaging. Um, and I, I mean, I made big sacrifices that were maybe uh I mean, sacrifices in terms of design that are maybe a risk. So we don't have any zippers on our outerwear. We only use snaps because the snapples, snaps you can recycle, but zippers you can't. So that's a risk from a design perspective because, you know, 50% of your customer wants a zip and you're only offering a snap. Um, and then your competition has a snap and a zip and 10 pockets and all these amazing, and a, you, you know, drawstring and things that you can't offer because the fabric is more expensive and you're making it in Canada. So you just have to uh, 
uh, yeah, it's, I think, I think keep your standards high. Um, and there are solutions out there and you really have to be the trailblazer and people are looking for faults in your product. So stay as true as you can. And what I mean by faults is I mean, holes in your sustainability like well if you do this why are you doing this and you know so you have to create a whole picture so people truly believe that they're um that what they're investing in is legitimate yeah so how how important is that communication side of the holistic vision because as a physical product the all you won't have to sell people on features and look and price point and then you have this whole other narrative that to you is the whole reason you started anyways you're not just doing it for, I mean, you want your children to have really nice clothes, but how important has the communication been and, and where, how has that evolved over time? Because uh, I know that a lot of brands struggle with finding the balance between su- showing that they're eco-friendly or sustainable or circular, and then actually understanding that the customer might not care about that. And mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you work with, through that? Right. Yeah, you almost have to be two companies and you know, you have to have two faces and two messages. Um, You have to have the message that's just going to outbeat your competition. So your product has to outperform, be in better design. You know, you have more on trend colors, whatever it is about your product that's going to outperform the competition. It has to be that. Um, And then you also have to have the certifications to back up the claims that you're making. I think certifications are really important. You don't have to get them personally as a brand, but the products that you the raw materials you're buying to put into your unfinished goods have to have the certification so you can have something to go, yeah, to present to your customer so that they can trust you. But really you do have to do both. You have to be the better product. And the and I really think that just because it's eco-friendly doesn't mean you have to sacrifice anything in terms of design. I think it can be more innovative and more interesting than what currently exists and eco-friendly. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about design a little bit because that's, that's the the kind of background you had in it and we're really excited about it. Um, What, so choosing to to do a child product, like a, a, a garment for children that has a whole bunch of challenges because they're, they're all over the place and they grow really quickly. Um, tell me about like what, how you went about um, doing, I don't know, user, I guess it would be called user testing, even, even though they're yeah. children, like what, how, how were you able to get the information from them that they needed, even if they didn't necessarily know how to explain it to you? Right. I guess being a mother helped a little bit with that. Just, you know, just <laughs> How old is your child when you started? Three. Oh, she was one. Okay. She was one. So, so she was she, definitely not able to tell you what she wanted. No, not at all. <laughs> no, but I think just knowing what I wanted for her was maybe more the more instinctive kind of, you know, you, you, you know what you need. And you, once you start dressing them, you very quickly understand what's going to work and what's not going to work and how quickly things have to go on and off. And how, I, I mean, I, I also did a lot of, um, the mothers really told me what they wanted. It wasn't so much the children. They're speaking for the children. They're, um, the message is coming through them anyway. So they, you know, they spoke to easy care. So, um, 
really parent friendly. So washability, durability, it being hundred percent waterproof rather than water resistant. Um, but that all, all of those properties were already there with the fabric. Really the design was, um, I think, I mean, that just came from a personal perspective. I like heritage workwear. I like the aesthetic of it. I like minimal, more minimal, um, uh, looks, but that it was kind of a balance. It was really a balance between the aesthetic and then, um, assembly time. So because we're making in Canada, we pay premium in wages, um, comparatively to our comp to some of our competition where they're um, maybe making elsewhere in the world. And so we have to uh, kind of pare down our pieces. So it takes less, it's really the most efficient way to make something. Um, so with us, we're always balancing, well, do we really need that seam there? How could we make a really interesting pocket without an extra seam, um, you know, fold ups and, all these little things that have taken me a year probably per style to develop to a point where it's really efficient and waterproof and quick to like, yeah, where it's striking the balance of aesthetics and performance and manufacturing. Did you enter the market with multiple products or was it just one uh, flagship product? Six. You started with six? Six products. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, in fashion, it's like, that's not much. I still feel like that is a really little collection. And I've tr every season, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do three or four more. And I want to do it. Right now, I have probably 10 garments that I'd like to make right now. It's just taking each one takes so much time to perfect. Right. Yeah. Is there, is there still, or like, is there a, other than it's it's kind of the tradition to release products as a collection, mm -hmm. is there a different way of doing it so that you don't have to have six, like in the name of kind of using less, mm -hmm. is that kind of uh, iterative releasing of products something that you've considered or? Um, yes, I mean, at the beginning, I thought I'd have more of a capsule collection that wouldn't change and adapt, but um, really, our, our customer, um, I guess, uh, I feel like our, I mean, yes, our customer needs new releases. They need new products. They're going every kind of two years, two and a half years, they're going to need, and they maybe don't need it every season, but they might need it for a different child, depending on how old they are. So I think it's a little, it's a little bit different for um, an adult customer to a child customer where I see that they're going to be buying the same product multiple times. Whereas with an adult, they really buy a jacket and they don't need another one for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I can, I can see from that perspective how you could have one product and then just focus on that one. Um, but for us, variation in colors is a really important thing through as through the seasons. Mm. Um, and we don't, it's not like we make a color and then it goes on sale at the end of a season. We make a color and we keep it until it's sold out of that color and we really don't do sales. So it's not, we're not trying to move more product and move more of, or of a style and it doesn't go out of style. It's just, we will, we slowly adapt our colors and styles. No, totally. It, it, and that ties really well into the idea that it, 
there's nothing wrong with releasing tons of product if mm. you're good at capturing it back and bringing it back into the system. Yeah. So, and you, you offer a take back program, correct? Yeah. So we, after the product, the product kind of has a uh, couple of life, cy- life cycles. So it's created and then um, if it's worn, but uh, you know, not, not damaged, not at the end of its life, we have a company called MiniCycle based in Quebec who will buy back any product that was purchased from them. And then um, at the end of its life, so it's, I don't know, we haven't had any of these back yet, but um, say it's malfunctioning, it's not waterproof anymore, or ideally you're passing the product along, but eventually it will come to us. You send it back to us and we'll give you um, a credit, a percentage discount on your next purchase. And then we capture them and recycle them. Right now what we're doing is recycling all of our waste. So, you know, when you do a big cut, you inevitably have waste because we're not doing zero waste here. That's a whole different type of designing. Um, but all of our waste is recycled. Awesome. And then how, how are you able to uh, start that partnership with the Quebec company to, to do they off, do they have a whole bunch of uh, materials that they recycle? Well, she, uh, well, they're a children's company as well. And so this was part of when they started up, this was part of their whole concept is that they buy back any product that they sell. Nice. Yeah. How did you, uh, find, find partnerships like that? No, I think she just reached out to me. I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Instagram, Instagram is where it all happens. Yeah, absolutely. What, what other kind of, um, uh, relationships or our partnerships have been really helpful in getting to where you are now? Um, I think the, for us, the Nova Scotia government has been very supportive. Um, working together with uh, universities, Dalhousie and um, IRAP uh, to test and develop and do all the um, do all the scientific testing and the market research that is very time consuming that a small business really can't. um, Well, yeah, just you don't have the time or resources to actually uh, do, but having that support so we can create that foundation of research, market research and um, product testing development of new products um, has been really helpful our uh, fabric supplier has um, also been really helpful as a partner uh, in terms of education, helping us to educate our customer, um, transparency, and in, in, in terms of uh, the, the supply chain that they follow, um, and then development of the recycling system as well. Yeah. How has, has having a, because so, performance where, whether it's for, uh, adults or children, the proprietary materials that go into a lot of these garments is kind of like the the big deal, and then tons of research goes into it, and tons of of time and effort to kind of keep it hush hush and who's who is mm-hmm. is really intense, especially in performance. Was that uh, did you know that going in, or how were you able to kind of navigate that? I didn't know that, and I didn't really look into it at all yeah <laughs> I, just found, I found somebody that worked for us and then it kind of yeah I didn't it wasn't that part wasn't difficult for me no that's awesome yeah so 
if you now a little bit of forward thinking, I'd love to kind of pick your brain about where you um, see the market going for um, for a few things. I guess there's the you touched on the timeless kind of uh, minimalist design, which is super popular, and uh, and it, it offers a really good um, because because clothing is such an interesting one because it's so um, people want it to describe themselves without speaking that you want that some people aren't going to like that minimalist look and some people love it. Do you see it being a, it's, do you see your designs changing over time or are you going to stick with the heritage look? Um, no, I think our, the designs, the designs will stay in the same, with the same inspiration. We don't really adapt our lines, um, based off of a different theme. It's more, um, inspiration from nature for the colors and then uh, yeah really heritage aesthetic and keeping that as the foundation I think that's really important for what we're creating now with such a small collection um, if we grow I will, especially into underlayers um, and interlayers I see more ability to create yeah to move into some storytelling um, with each collection but right now, I think the focus is um, working with schools. So they have a, a really high-performing um, outerwear for everybody that's going to school for schools and Waldorf schools. And then moving into adult wear is the other thing that we're focusing on. Awesome. And where, yeah. are, where do you currently ship? Worldwide? Yeah. Yeah. No, we really do have customers as far as Japan and Australia and New Zealand. Um, uh, yeah, but a lot of like Norway, um, Iceland, Ireland, I sent one today everywhere. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. and our, our wholesale basis is majoritively in Europe right now, but we're going to move more into the U.S. and uh, yeah, hopefully expanding into Asia soon. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. That's so exciting. It's good. It, it was. It kind of took off in January. There was a huge pivot for us, and um, and it's been going well since. It's always hard in the beginning. Yeah. No. It sound. It's, yeah. That's 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 amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any last um, asks of the audience, or any any type of uh, last kind of call outs that you'd like to? Any knowledge you want to drop on them in the last few minutes? No, I think just the urgency of the change that has to happen is the most important thing. Whenever I speak to anyone, it's kind of like, great, we're finally having this conversation, but it's close to too late. So make change now is, I think, the biggest um, message I can send. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice good looking clothes and super high performance and kids look look great in them. Buy less, choose well, make it last. That's what Vivian Westwood said. I'm sure you know. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tabitha. You can find uh, Fairchild online at Fairchild, F-A-I-R-E-C-H-I-L-D on on Instagram. And you can reach out to Tabitha through that. And uh, they ship worldwide. So make sure you take a look at their stuff. And if you have a child or know of anyone, make sure to give it a look and... uh, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with me. Yeah, no problem. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much. And there you have it. That's all we've got for this episode. 
be sure to rate and subscribe the podcast. It makes all the difference and it'll really allow others to see what we're doing here and get more people on board because that's really what we need uh, to get the circular economy running at scale. The other best way you can help out is by sharing this podcast directly with friends. It's super easy in all the apps to share it over text or over Facebook or over Instagram. And that way you can also have something to talk about with your friends next time you see them. So thank you so much again for listening. Please be sure to reach out to me on Twitter at Stu underscore Hillhouse, S-T-E-W underscore H-I-L-L-H-O-U-S-E. Let me know what you enjoyed, what you would like to see more of, and we can uh, try and make that happen for you. So thank you very much for listening. And until next time, let's make circular the only way.